The reading is from the second chapter of Malachi, beginning at verse 10 down to verse 16. Do not we not have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by using being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do... You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favour on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Thank you, Joan. Well, back in the olden days when I was 17 or 18. This was just before everyone had mobile phones. Friday tea time was spent on the phone, on the landline, you know, just in the entrance hall near the front door, trying not to let my sisters listen in, calling up friends to arrange where we were going to meet up for our night out. But one Friday, I just couldn't get hold of any of them. They either weren't picking up the phone or it was permanently engaged. And so that weekend, I stayed in on my own. And as the week went on, I learned that actually they all had gone out together. And they just hadn't invited me. And they had a great time. They'd left me out. And I bet you've had similar things happen to you and you remember how that feels. You could say that they'd been unfaithful in their friendship So they'd broken all the normal, unspoken agreement of how people are mates together. And it really hurt and really played into all my teenage insecurities. You know, was I boring? Was I uncool? Was I just being tolerated? Fears fears like that, which insecurities, which led me lots of foolish behavior, trying to never miss out again. Now, I don't want to pick on my friends because I did exactly the same kind of thing to them a few years later when new cool kids came along to hang out with. Now, God isn't an insecure teenager, okay, is he? I hope you know that. 
God doesn't need our faithfulness. But he knows faithfulness to him is what we're made for. He knows it's what's best for us because he is perfectly good and because he wants to give us good things. And in today's passage, unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness, that's big on God's agenda. So just have a look at this slide in the, of our passage. It doesn't show up very well on this screen, but in the purple there, unfaithful shows up five times. So that's his... On his mind, obviously. And the question for us this morning is, are the ways that we are being unfaithful? How can we learn from Malachi to stay faithful? Are we being unfaithful? So to get us up to speed, God has given us here another example of how these returned exiles are showing that they don't really have faith that God loves them. They're not all that convinced. So far, we've seen it directly in their questioning his love for them, forgetting how he's chosen them and cared for them. We saw it last week in their half-hearted, lip service, she'll be right, ticking the boxes kind of worship, and uh, not teaching the Bible properly. And now we're seeing that half-heartedness to God expressed in their unfaithfulness to each other unfaithfulness in their human relationships. And God's people are being unfaithful in two ways, unfaithful in marrying and unfaithful in divorcing their wives in order to do that. So here's our outline. It's not just about marrying and divorcing, unfaithful in marrying and unfaithful in divorcing. So let me explain. First of all, it's not, this passage is not just about marrying and divorcing. Up front, I want to say this passage raises the topics of divorce and it raises the topic of being married to an unbeliever. And I'm aware that some of our church family are divorced and some are married to unbelievers. And if that's you, I don't want you to feel singled out. And if that's not you, I don't want you to switch off and think this is not for you. This message is for all of us about how we can't compartmentalize how we treat God from the way we treat people. So marriage relationships are in view for Malachi's audience, but the principle stands for all our relationships. So have a look at verse 10. Do we not all have one Father? Do not one, did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? So God makes a direct link between his people being unfaithful to one another and being unfaithful to him. Uh, Another thing to be careful of with this passage, if you are divorced or if you're married to an unbeliever, actually this passage deals with a whole sweep of sins based on the thing that got Israel into trouble in the first place, idolatry. So those sins relate directly to Malachi's audiences, um, divorces and marriages, but probably not directly to yours any more than they apply to the rest of us. So again, don't feel singled out. And please don't squish all these judgments together with your marital status and take from the passage words of condemnation that are not for you. So we just need to be careful with this passage. So what we'll do is look at how those returned exiles were being unfaithful 
and think about how we might be in danger of being unfaithful. So first of all then, they were unfaithful in marrying. So God doesn't divide up faithfulness to him into religious temple or church worship and then the rest of life. What they're up to in their relationships in everyday life is also coming between them and God. So verse 11. Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. So just to explain, Judah there means that basically everyone's up to this. It's a sort of national pastime. And the word detestable there in verse 11... In the Old Testament, that's associated with worshipping foreign gods. So just to be clear, this isn't about racism, about against these women they're marrying because they're foreign. And it's not about sexism. It's not because they're women. This prob- the problem is idolatry. See, God had actually always provided a way for foreigners to be adopted into God's people and commanded that they be treated really well. So if you look at Jesus' genealogy, for example, who's in there? Ruth. And she wasn't a Jew. She was a Moabite. And yet she's counted as part of God's people because she said to her Israelite mother-in-law, Ruth uh, 1, verse 16, this is, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. So the issue isn't that their wives are foreign, per se. The issue is that they worship a foreign god. Or some translations have it, that they're daughters of a foreign god. I mean, you can see how it happened for these blokes in Israel. If you're coming from the place where you think God has given up on you, well, you'll start giving up on God. And if you're not all that bothered about God, then it's not such a big deal if your wife is not all that bothered about him. And then it's just easier to go along with worshipping her gods at home. And, you know, maybe her gods will deliver what you reckon God hasn't delivered. But verse 12. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he offers, brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. So remove from tents isn't just he has to sleep outside. It means cut off from God's people, cut off from God's promises. But why such an extreme reaction from God? You know, what about, you know, what if there's some sort of romantic Romeo and Juliet story where an Israelite bloke falls for a foreign woman? God's extreme reaction is because of of the danger of them returning to the very thing that had sent them into exile. Because of the danger that Solomon fell into. So in Nehemiah 13, around the same time, Nehemiah says this, Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. Further on, Was it not because of marriages like these that King Solomon of Israel sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. 
Must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? See, God knows how relationship works. God knows married couples, quite rightly, want to make each other happy. He knows that marrying someone who thinks life is fundamentally about living for something else could lead to compromise, could lead to children being raised without knowing God, without even having the language to understand his word. I mean, it happened to Solomon, and he was the best of the best. And if this happens en masse, it's got the danger of leading the whole nation away from God and failing to see children raised knowing God or even how to understand the Bible. So what about for us now today as Christians? Well, if you're unmarried and hope to be married one day, resolve now not to marry an unbeliever for your own sake and for the sake of any potential children and for the sake of that person. The Bible calls it being unequally yoked. And if nothing else, you're asking your potential spouse to put up with you always loving Jesus more than them. Now, I get that limiting your options to a Christian woman or man might be really costly. And I've known people who've had to let go, someone that they've really fallen for. But the cost of giving up on Jesus is much greater. Now, that said, if you are married to an unbeliever, Loving your spouse well is your primary way of loving Jesus well. And I commend you for that. Loving your spouse well is your primary way of loving Jesus well. And the Apostle Paul's advice to you is don't despair and don't divorce. Don't despair and don't divorce. So 1 Corinthians 7, 12 to 13. To the rest I say this. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Verse 16, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? You don't know, and you might. Uh, And let's pray now for you in that situation. Lord, I pray for our um, brothers and sisters married to unbelievers. Lord, please give them your peace uh, and your endurance and your strength and your faithfulness to keep bearing great witness to loving Jesus and your love for them. And we pray that in your mercy, those spouses may be saved. Please save them, Lord. Amen. Well, back to Malachi's audience. Their marriages are the symptom of not trusting God. Why are they marrying these foreign idol-worshipping women? It's not because these women are more attractive or they cook a better curry or something like that. It's probably because marriages in that ancient Near East context, marriages helped form economic and political and territorial alliances. So what they're doing with these marriages is instead of trusting God's promise 
of blessing, that he'll provide for them abundantly if they remain faithful. They've come up with their sort of own workaround to bless themselves. They're trying to win at life in their own way, in direct contradiction to God's commands. God's own heart to us is absolute faithfulness, always keeping his promises, sticking with his commitments. In his very being, is steadfastly faithful. That's why unfaithfulness to him is so offensive to him, even if it's in a roundabout way. But what about us? What workarounds to blessing do we come up with? How do we try and win at life and leave God out of the picture? Well, whilst we're on the topic of marriage, you've probably heard of polygamy, you know, having more than one spouse. But have you heard of sologamy? Got a slide here, thanks, Robert. Sologamy, it's a thing. This is Kashama Bindu. She was, in fact, yesterday, congratulations, Kashama. She's marrying herself. That's sologamy. She said this, Many people tell me I'm a great catch, the 24-year-old said. I tell them, I caught myself. By marrying herself, Ms. Bindu said she would be dedicating her life to self-love. Self-marriage is a commitment to being there for yourself, to choosing the lifestyle that will help you grow and blossom into the most alive, beautiful, and deeply happy person you can be. It's my way of showing that I'm accepting all the different parts of me, especially the parts of myself that I've tried to deny or disown, such as my weaknesses. For me, this marriage is, a really, is really a deep act of self-acceptance. Here's the bit that tickled me. After the wedding, she will go visit Goa for a two-week-long honeymoon. Well, presumably she'll have a first argument with herself on the honeymoon as well. Now, that sounds bonkers, doesn't it? But actually, isn't she just being more honest with herself in pursuing what the world tells us all to chase after, what we tell ourselves to chase after sometimes? Living for our own happiness. Not trying to get rid of sin, but accepting, even embracing our sinfulness. That's just who I am, kind of thing. I think that's the workaround that we're all tempted to. Make ourselves happy. Bless ourselves. Put our confidence in ourselves. But it doesn't work. Because Ms. Bindu will find herself to be just as much a pain in the neck, just as unloving, just as capable of leaving the towels on the floor as any bloke. Only God in his faithfulness, can deliver the blessing that we need. God is so faithful that in Jesus, he's come himself to take the punishment that our unfaithfulness deserves so that it can be both just and fair and deliver on his promise to bless us for eternity. So they were unfaithful in putting their confidence in who they married instead of God. And we need to ask ourselves, what, danger are we, uh, what, what are we in danger of putting our confidence in instead of God? What workarounds are we demonstrating unfaithfulness in? 
So not only were they unfaithful in marriage, they were also unfaithful in divorce. Because this isn't, as our next heading, uh, this isn't just a bunch of single blokes that Malachi is addressing. In order to feather their own nest and marry the foreign women, married blokes were divorcing Israelite women. Verse 13. Another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or acceptance with, with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. So there they are at the, at the temple, worshipping, half-heartedly, mind you, and expecting blessing to come, whilst all the while abandoning their wives and failing to protect them for no other reason that they think they can get a better deal. And they reckon they've got that all so nicely compartmentalized off whilst they do their worship that they're genuinely surprised when God isn't blessing them. They're genuinely affronted, weeping and wailing at the temple altar. Because God won't stand for it. It all counts. Their lack of love for God is expressed in their lack of love for their wives. Their unfaithfulness to their covenant with God is expressed in their unfaithfulness to their marriage covenant. They reckon it's a separate issue, but guess who was at the wedding? Um, here are my wedding witnesses from 20, over 25 years ago. Ah, oh, here them. So I've got a photograph of the um, signing the register. They were there, but I was too dark and you couldn't see them all. That's Gaynor, me and Sharon, Sarah, who's not with us anymore, my best man, James. But there's someone in who, that, there was somebody else there not in the picture. And he's not a passive witness. He's an active, hold-you-accountable kind of witness. The Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. And God is involved in marriages spiritually, making us one. One. That word one gets a lot of airtime in this passage. Verse 10. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Verse 15. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. That's oneness of being. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Some of your um, Bibles might have a footnote that says verse 16 can also be translated, God hates divorce. But please note, it does not say God hates divorcees. God allows for divorce in certain circumstances. He knows that um, it is sometimes needed. But this kind of divorce of Malachi's audience, abandoning the wife that God's provided to marry one is strictly prohibited, essentially divorcing God. That's thoroughly condemned here. 
And God hates divorce for the same reasons we do. For all the pain and the hurt and confusion that it brings. The instability it can cause children. And the potential to turn them away from God. But God also hates divorce for spiritual reasons. Because it's separating what he has made one. It's going against his purposes by dividing what he's put together. And because it puts a spanner in the works for raising godly children where having children is possible. But marriage, divorce, single, all of us can have this tendency to compartmentalize, to quarantine off bits of our life or relationships and treat them casually, casually like they're nothing to do with God. But God is faithful And God really cares that we treat one another faithfully. How we treat our friends, our family, our spouses, even strangers, shows our heart for God. We can faithfully seek to love everyone in our lives on the basis that we're all made by the one God. So keep commitments. Speak truthfully in love. Put one another's needs above our own. Give grace instead of taking offense. Look to the example of Jesus who came to serve, not to be served. Maybe today you're feeling like Malachi's audience, surprised, weeping and wailing, because it feels like God no longer looks on you with favor. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in a rut, that your relationship with God isn't all that exciting. Uh, You're just not really feeling it. Well, could it be because there are parts of your life you've compartmentalized and tried to keep to yourself that you reckon you can hide away from God? You can't. You can't fool God. But you can trust him. You can trust him with all of it. Turn to him in repentance. Give it all to him. And if loving God, being in relationship with God, feels a bit intangible, distant, theoretical at the moment, well, could it be that the best way for you to be growing in your relationship with God is to be working on being faithful in your relationship with others. So who do you need to go to this week to go and give some help or go and clear the air with or just catch up with? We need to get beyond the surprise, beyond the weeping and wailing, and get around to changing things in God's strength. Knowing that by grace... He got around to changing things for us. Just finally, God has application for us, and he says it twice, so I can't miss it out. Verse 15, be on your guard. Verse 16, be on your guard. So married people, guard your marriages. No one is immune to them falling apart. So make sure your best quality time is normally with your spouse, not someone else. 
make sure your sexual and romantic activity is with your spouse and not someone else. There's no such thing as harmless flirting. God is your witness. And all of us, all of us, we've got a role in helping people guard their marriages by supporting them in good times and bad to help married couples know that separating, to make sure that separating is never the answer. We need to be on our guard. To finish them, is your confidence in God or are you trying to work around him, coming up with your own clever compromise to win blessing for yourself? Or are you compartmentalizing your life to try and get away with it? Be faithful to God by trusting in him for blessing. Be faithful to God by loving the people in your life faithfully. You know, married, single, divorced, none of us have relationships that are exactly as they should be. All of us have treated people unfaithfully in some way. But let's get past the weeping and the wailing and instead let's repent and rejoice. Repent asking God to be at work in us to make us faithful and rejoicing knowing that no matter how unfaithful we are, he is always faithful to us. And in love and grace, he's done everything it takes to restore us back into faithful relationship with him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are loving and completely faithful in your very being. Lord, please help us to work out where we're being unfaithful to you and to friends and family and in all our relationships and to straighten that out, to turn to you in repentance, to seek your strength, your faithfulness, to empower us in being faithful to people and faithful to you. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.